بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يرفع الله يرفع الله الذين آمنوا منكم الذين أوتوا المدرجات صدق الله العلي العظيم my respected and most honourable Elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, I humbly request some of our brothers who are scattered around and towards the back and, and the sides to stand up and, and make your way forward in, to the front and foremost self. Allah bless you all. We begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this opportunity to congregate in his house, to worship him, to glorify him, to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah azza wa jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. We live in a, a, tech, a, a technological age. We live in the modern era where technical advancements uh, are constantly being made in every field of science and technology. Uh, in every walk of life, advancements are being made. The world is progressing at uh, a rapid rate. But unfortunately for us, many of the notable technological and scientific advancements in recent times that have contributed significantly in shaping the world that we live in today have been made by non-Muslims. Muslims haven't played a prominent role in either identifying or working for uh, achieving that, working in achieving that. The notable and one of the factors is that the most the notable Muslim breakthroughs and Islamic advancements that have been made over the last, say, 20 to 30, 40 years haven't often been highlighted. We don't know much about them. The, and it gives the impression to the world that Islam is somehow stagnant, Islam is somehow ignorant and incompatible with the modern world. And un unfortunately, this in turn makes the Muslims feel, or it dents the Muslim pride in their faith. And naturally, as it would, because one begins to feel as if their religion is somehow, you know, not conducive to a modern world view. And it makes Muslims feel as if their religion is not going to work for them in the day and age that they live in. And this is completely ill-informed. And, you know, the, the individuals who perpetuate this myth that Islam is somehow against uh, uh, modernity, Islam is somehow against uh, technological and scientific advancements, suffer from severe historical amnesia because... If you look in the history of Islam, you know, that's where you'll find 
that many, many, and I'm going to discuss some of them today, just a few of them, of the advancements that are being made and are going to be made are due to the groundwork laid by Muslim scholars, by Muslim uh, um, scientists, by Muslim physicians. Right? And, and, and you'll, you'll see some of that in, in, in what I'm going to talk about today. I don't know whether you've heard of uh, a man by, who goes by the name of Sam Harris. Right? Sam, Sam Harris, is, he's a, a popular critic of Islam. He campaigns, uh, he's an anti-Islam campaigner, you know, um, perpetuates Islamophobia at every given opportunity. Now, in one of the articles by Sam Harris, he referred to Malala Yousafzai, who won a Nobel Peace Prize for, uh, for her work for education. He says that the Pakistani activist Malala Yousafzai, and I quote, he said she is the best thing to come out of the Muslim world in 1,000 years. He says she is the best thing to come out of the Muslim world in a thousand years. And somehow hidden in this comment is the idea that Malala's fellow Muslims are somehow backward and her religion, Islam, is in no way conducive to the modern worldview. Is no way conducive to change or progress. And conversely to the beliefs of Mr. Harris and others like him, we're going to prove how Muslims have made enormous contributions to civilizations. And perhaps due to the heavy emphasis that Islam places on it, the importance of knowledge and the importance of seeking knowledge. And we've discussed this in the past, how Islam talks about the seeking of knowledge. Knowledge is only sought by striving to seek it. The very first words of the Quran that were revealed, Ikra. Read, read, O Muhammad, in the name of your Lord who created you. Right? The very first five verses, the first five verses of the Quran discuss the creation of man. Who created man from a clot of blood, thereby discussing biology in the first five verses of the Quran. And naturally, we have to interpret these verses. (coughs) Excuse me. We have to study these verses. And when you study them, and when you learn about what an alaq is, a drop of blood is, then you see, right? You're making scientific progress that was unheard of 1400 years ago. And our people, not only... I'm not only talking about non-Muslims, I'm talking about Muslims also. We tend to forget. And that period in history is brushed under the carpet. The golden era of Islam is brushed under the carpet. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the historical breakthroughs that were made by Muslim scholars. Nobody wants to discuss the, uh, the wonderful era 
of Islamic, Islam is civilization. The civilization that we live in today, it's because of Islam. And inshallah, we're going to try and dispel some of the uh, stereotypes and the mis uh, misconceptions exacerbated by Mr. Harris and others like him. Now, when we talk about Malala Yousafzai, we just mentioned Malala Yousafzai, and Mr. Sam Harris saying she's the best thing that came out of the Muslim world in over a thousand years. Her quest, what is her quest? Her quest, and it, she spoke about it in her speech uh, after winning the Nobel Peace Prize, is for universal education for both, and equality in education for both boys and for girls. Now, let's just talk about education, right? We've spoken about knowledge in general, the emphasis that Islam places on knowledge. 1400 years ago, the Prophet sallallahu said, that the seeking of knowledge is an obligation upon every single Muslim, male and female. But we're not going to talk about the Prophet today. You know why? Because Islam is clear. We don't need to keep throwing that at people and showing people this is what Islam says. Because people are not going to look at that ultimately. And I've mentioned this before. When people look at Islam, they look at Muslims. They want to know more about Islam, they look at you and I. So let's look at the Muslims. Two Muslim women. Fatima and Maryam al-Firhi. Two Muslim women, they created, and, and this is according to UNESCO and the Guinness World Records. And you can check this up, and I ask you to do this. They created the world's first university. Two Muslim women, two sisters, created the world's first university. And what is that university? The Al-Qarawiyin in, in Fez in Morocco. When was this built? 859 AD. Approximately 100 years after, 100 or so years after the passing of the Prophet Shortly thereafter, it was followed by the second oldest university and currently the oldest living or standing university and that's the Al-Azhar University in Cairo. And that was built and established in 972 AD during the caliph or, uh, Caliphate of Al-Mu'idh. Now both of them, both of these two universities were the first main centers of learning. And they were built by, well, the Karawiyin in Morocco was built by two women, established by two women. And who is Azhar named after? It's named after the daughter of the Prophet Sayyida Fatima Azhra. Hence Azhar taken from the name of the daughter of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Al-Azhar. When Muslim or when women, forget a thousand years ago, let's talk about 50, 60 years ago, weren't even allowed to vote in, in Western Europe. Women were establishing centers of learning over 1100 years ago. They were establishing them. They were running them. 
And for several years, students were schooled in a plethora of different subjects. Don't think that they were just being taught Islam. No, they were taught secular subjects. They were taught about science. They were taught about technology, astronomy. All of these subjects were including, included in their religious learning. And at the end, why were they categorized as universities? Do you know why? Because at the end of their education, at the end of their education, they would receive, the students would re receive degrees, which will then ensure that they will go on to having careers in the field that they study in. And the concept of awarding these degrees would spread from Fez to Andalusia, from Andalusia in Spain, later to, to the universities of Bologna in Italy. And from Italy, it would go to, it would arrive here in the UK, and then the University of Oxford was established on the back of that. This is Islam's contribution. The Spanish Muslims of, uh, of, of Andalusia were especially strong advocates of education, and they helped to dispel the, the gloom of the Dark Ages. They brought advancement here to Western Europe. Between the 8th and the 15th centuries, that was the golden age or the golden era of Islam. And the 8th and 15th centuries were the Dark Ages for Europe. It was Spain. It was the educational advancements of the Muslims in Andalusia that helped shape the, the Western world. Spanish universities, and some of them, if you have visited Spain, you'll see them. They, the, the remnants of these universities still exist today in Cordoba, in Granada, in Seville. And in those universities, what's amazing is you'll have churches, you'll have synagogues, and you'll have uh, mosques, all three of them. People talk about religious intolerance. Muslims built those universities. Muslims established those universities. And within them you had churches, you had synagogues, and you had mosques. You had Christians, you had Jews, and you had Muslims studying there all together. Established by Muslims. Five to six hundred years ago here in Andalusia. Perhaps even further than that. Perhaps even beyond that. Women were encouraged to study at those universities when in the Western world and throughout the rest of the world, women had absolutely no rights. This is the pride of Islam. This is what Islam gave to the civilization and the world that we live in today. This educational tolerance where people from different faiths coming together and studying in the same center of learning, this wouldn't reach uh, Western Europe until the 20th century. Even then, it wasn't the same. When you look at the, the, the Islamic and the Muslim contributions to philosophy and the works of, uh, in Arabic, those who are named as Arustu and Aflatu, and Socrates, Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. Why do we know? How do we know of Aristotle, of Socrates, and Plato, and their ancient, the ancient Greek texts? 
on philosophy. Do you know why? Because their works, the ancient Greeks, Greek works on philosophy, were translated by Muslim philosophers from Latin to Arabic, and then they were taught in Arabic to Western Europe. Nobody could read Latin in Western Europe five, six hundred, seven hundred, a thousand years ago. They were Muslim philosophers who translated those works from Latin to Arabic. The likes of Al-Ghazali, the likes of Averroes and Avicenna, right? We, we like to, to, uh, to change their names. Who was Averroes and Avicenna? Those of you who have studied philosophy um, in university will know. Averroes and Avicenna, who are they? Ibn Sina and Ibn Rushd. They translated the works of, uh, uh, of Aristotle, of Plato, of Socrates, and other Greek philosophers into, from, from Latin to Arabic. Ibn Khaldun, who is Ibn Khaldun? One of the most important Muslim thinkers and theologians and philosophers in history, recognized as one of the greatest historians ever, one of the first to ever compile a book on history. Muslims were making these advancements. He was a founder of sociological sciences in the 14th and 15th centuries. You know, he, he created the earliest non-religious philosophy of history in, in, in his book, Al-Muqaddimah. In fact, the modern-day democratic system of voting and electing your leaders and what to expect from your leaders was taken from the works of Ibn Khaldun. He was a political, he was a first political scientist. And he created the framework for good leaders, stating that the sovereign exists for the good of the people. The necessity of a ruler arises from the fact that human beings have to live together. And unless there is someone to maintain order, society would break into pieces. This was established. Democracy in the Western world was established based upon the principles set forth by the likes, by the great thinkers such as Ibn Khaldun, who was, uh, who was a Muslim. Throughout the Golden Age, and we discussed Averroes and Avicenna, Arabic became the language of science and technology. Arabic became the language of technological advancement, of scientific advancement. For those of you who have heard of the name Maimonides, he was a Jewish uh, scholar. And a Jewish, not only a scholar, he was, he was a magnificent philosopher, one of the greatest philosophers. And who was he? He was a student of Ibn Rushd. He was a student of, of, of Averroes. And it was them, and it was, his, it was their works that he studied from. They had translated the Latin, Greek, ancient Greek texts in philosophy into Arabic. And he had studied them in Arabic. Maimonides. He was proficient in Arabic because all of, all of the great work was in the Arabic language. If you look at mathematics, probably our worst subject in school, mathematics, certainly for me it was. The numbers that we use today, the numerical system that we have today, is it our numerical system? Was it invented by someone in Western Europe? No. Where was it taken from? It was taken from the Muslims. 
These numbers that you have today were Muslim numbers. They were taken from the Indian Muslims. And it was the Muslims who brought them to Europe in around the 12th century and revolutionized the study of mathematics and science. The older numerical system was the Roman numerical system that was being used in Western Europe. And that was, uh, it was too difficult to decipher. And I say decipher because in decipher you have the word cipher. And cipher is taken from the Arabic word a cipher. And a cipher is the word zero. Is the, is the numerical zero. And the numerical number zero didn't exist in those no Roman numerals. It was something that the Muslims had brought here and devised in India over a thousand years ago. Algebra. Algebra, the subject that I hated the most. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, alhamdulillah, is the subject that we all have to thank an individual for. And what was that individual name? He lived in 750 to 850. His name was Muhammad ibn Muhammad Abu Musa al-Khwarizmi. And his book, which was titled Hisab al-Jabr wal-Muqabala, was translated into Latin in the 12th century. And then it was the most important book here in Western Europe in mathematics up until the 20th and 21st centuries. It was the most important mathematical text for over 800 years. Algebra, what is it taken from? The title of his book, Al-Jabr. Algorithm, or algorithms that we have today. And the only reason we can make technical and technological advancements in computer science was based on algorithms. And algorithm is taken from what? Al-Khwarizm. Muhammad Abu Musa Al-Khwarizmi. Muslims made these advancements. Muslim contributions to healthcare. Medicine is one of the crucial contributions, or one of the main contributions of modern civilization. And who was that contribution made by? By Muslims again. In 872 in Cairo in Egypt, Ahmed ibn Tulun Hospital was built. And what is significant about Ahmed ibn Tulun Hospital over 12, 1300 years ago? What is significant is that it not only catered or cared for the sick and the ill among the healthy, among those who were healthy, but it catered for those individuals who are mentally ill 1300 years ago. When people who are mentally ill or born with uh, mental disabilities, they were considered subhuman. They were considered animals. Because people believed that human was, humans were those who had intelligence. And in, in, if intelligence is taken away from you, you were like animals. Muslims built that hospital 1300 years ago. And it was open to men and women, adults and children, the rich and the poor, Muslims and non-Muslims. We, uh, I was studying and I, uh, when, I was, when I was looking at some of the advancements and I, I, I uh, looked at the 1001 inventions which is made into a, a movie. 
uh, a, a documentary. I came across someone by the name of Azhrawi. And Azhrawi, he is often called the father of surgery. The scalpel, the scissors, and the instruments and tools used in modern day surgery, even up until today, were inventions by Azhrawi. And he brought surgery into uh, the Western world. In fact, it's reported in one of his books, and I came across this, that over 800 years ago, he was the first individual to perform a caesarean. 800 years ago. Imagine that. Something which was so complex that even now, even now in many countries, you know, uh, people or women are still dying from childbirth. Even now, up until today, 800 years ago, he was the first individual to perform a caesarean. The first scientist to identify measles, Alama, and he's called Alama, the great scholar of Islam, the great scholar of science, Fakhruddin al-Razi, rahimahullah ta'ala, from 824 to 932 uh, years AD, and that's, we're not talking about Hijri. And the ad advancements he was a, he's known as a father of chemistry. We talk about chemistry is taken from the Arabic word alchemia. Muslims, again, making those advancements. And I'm, I can go uh, into talking about the likes of Ibn Sina and Ibn Rushd. Uh, Ibn Sina, who was known as the prince of physicians. And it was his text, the canon of medicine, that brought medicine here into Western Europe. But look at the smaller things. Let's look at the smaller things. Just personal hygiene. Look at soap and shampoo. Something that we all regularly use. And hopefully we used when we had a shower or a bath before we came into the masjid uh, and applying the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Protecting and cleansing the body is a fundamental aspect of, of the faith. Cleanliness. iman. That cleanliness is a half of faith and it's been a great priority for the Muslims. That's why it's no, uh, uh, you know, it's no, it should come as no shock to us that Muslims were the ones who invented soap and shampoo. They invented soap. And the shampoo was in, introduced here in, in England on the Brighton seafront in, nine, in 1759. At a man who is an Indian man at Muhammad's Indian vapor baths. It was brought here. The fact that the Europeans learnt the very basics of hygiene and cleanliness from Muslims, that's a fact. Because of the cold weather here in Europe that me and you have become accustomed to, it was extremely difficult to have baths, or to have showers, or to bathe yourself. And people would go for years on end without having a bath. The, the, the kings and the royals who would wear their finery to cover the stench, they would place peels of orange underneath their armpits because of the stench that was coming from their bodies. This existed. And yet, as Muslims are ordered to, to bathe often to keep ourselves clean. You know? Thankfully, for those royals who had to place peels, orange peels, underneath their armpits, for the smell, Muslims created deodorant for them. Muslims created deodorant and brought it here. It was, a, it was Andalusian, 
Abu al-Hassan Ali ibn Nafi. And Ibn Nafi, he introduced, he, he's the first one who introduced underarm deodorants. And he's the one who uh, created detergents for washing clothes. People would just wash clothes with water, but the stains would still remain. And he introduced this detergents, which created powder, which helped get rid of the stains. And Ibn Nafi, he was a, he was a social dynamo. And I, I, I was reading that, and listen to this, and I'm going to go through this very quickly. He, he created a system of, uh, uh, of cuisine. And at restaurants in Morocco, he decided that, you know, a, a cuisine should be on tables, you should have tablecloths. And on those tablecloths, there should be a sequence to how the food is being served. So it should be prepared and served in increments. And he said, first it should be the soups. And after the soups, it should be the heavy food, the meat and the meats and the fish. And after that, once that had finished, then the desserts. This, is the, this, was, this was cuisine from the Islamic world introduced here in Western Europe. And it became the standard for for Spain and the entire West. The contributions to science, the first observatories that were built, were built by Muslims in Shamsiya and in, in Damascus. The first astronomy, we don't even know, need to talk about astronomy. Everything that we have in terms of astronomy is taken from Muslims. The Ottoman Empire had, had, had observatories built when people didn't even know what observatories were. What about our plans for aviation? Um, l listen to this, you know, we, we talk about um, planes and aviation and I think this is the last one that I'm going to mention inshallah will continue next week in, in terms of aviation we, we uh, attribute it to Howard Hughes and, and others like him uh, many others who built planes and, and, and tried to fly the idea was trying to fly get man to fly and indeed our modern and globalized world is, has made so many advancements due to, due to aviation Ibn Firnas, Ibn Firnas, he was a Muslim engineer in Andalusia, who in the 9th century, in the 9th century, over 1100 years ago, he, he was the first individual to construct a flying machine. He had wood, pieces of wood, and among those on top of those pieces of wood, he placed uh, uh, the, um, a cloak or a loose cloak on either side, and he connected it together, and then he placed his arms in it, and he went to... The, uh, the Grand Mosque in, in Cordoba and to the highest minaret and he uh, jumped off and he was the first one to actually introduce something of the likes of a parachute in order for him to land. This was 1100 years ago. 1100 years ago and these were Muslims. Be proud of your faith. Be proud of the technic technological advancements that your faith has made. Your faith is not incompatible to the modern age. Your faith created the modern age. The modern age is only modern because of the contributions that Islam made, because of the contributions of Muslims throughout history. History is little littered with Muslim accomplishments, but unfortunately, we have historical amnesia. We forget about, about them, or we don't want to highlight them. We want to brush them under the carpet. Nobody wants to talk about them. Nobody wants to mention them, and when you do, People laugh at you. People don't know these things. People have no idea. 
when they talk about Islam being backward and intolerant. There was nothing, nothing uh, more tolerant than Islam. And as far as being backward, you can see uh, uh, these and study these technological advancements yourself. Inshallah, we'll, we'll continue next week. But the most important thing and the reason why I discuss this, um, I, we're now uh, just recently you had the A-levels um, results for Muslims and uh, congratulations to all those who who done well in their A-levels, uh, our young students. It's important for them to know that these were the advancement made, made by Muslims, to have pride in their faith as, as Muslims, that as Muslims they can contribute to society. It's unfortunate that you know, Muslims make up 2 billion uh, people in the world, but unfortunately from the 650 uh, Nobel Peace Prizes, we've only, and Nobel Peace Prizes that only existed for the last 100 years or so, M Muslims have only won three, as opposed to Jews who make up 15 million uh, in the world and have, you know, contribute and have 25% of all Nobel Peace Prizes. They've won over 150 of them. But they're only, it's unfortunate that Muslims have now become stagnant and Muslims are not making those, those advancements that we should be making and leading uh, the, the, the charge for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu enable each and every one of us to prioritize the seeking of knowledge, both religious and secular knowledge. Uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to attain it.